0: No, uh, I hope you're doing okay today. And uh, and uh, I've uh, been—it's man—it's been an exciting morning. We got to baptize uh, <clears throat> one of uh, our girls, one of the young girls in our, our church uh, in the first service today, and just uh, uh, just a testimony of what God is doing in, in families and in uh, the lives of people that are part of uh, this body of believers, and just uh, just awesome stuff. Just awesome awesome stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, and we'll probably talk a little bit about some of that stuff here in just a minute. Uh, I want to make mention uh, to just say thank you so much uh, to everybody that helped make our parenting conference possible Uh, and and to everybody that came to our parenting conference uh, yesterday. Uh, We had people from uh, many other churches come, uh, and that was awesome. Uh, I talked to people yesterday that I really haven't ever gotten to really talk to before and still feel like I didn't really get to talk to enough uh, and would love to talk to more, but uh, that uh, God's just working in their hearts and uh, that He's leading them to for this to be their church home and and just, just, just some awesome, awesome conversations. Uh, and, uh, you know, really the whole thing just kind of came out of, uh, you know, a couple ladies in our church just, you know, saying, you know, it'd be awesome if we could do, do, you know, do this conference. And we were like, well, why can't we? You know, let's just do it. You know, let's make it happen. And so, uh, they, uh, they put, they and a lot of people put a lot of time uh, into making yesterday happen. So if you were a part of that, thank you so much. If you brought food, thank you so much. Uh, we ate well. It was, uh, we had, uh, one of the things we learned uh, is that uh, if, you know, you have uh, a bunch of adults at a parenting conference, uh, let's say 50 or 60, you can uh, double that number as to how many kids you're going to have at that parenting conference to take care of for a day. Uh, and so that began... Uh, part of the week was just trying to figure out, you know, help people helping uh, to care for our kids while we were in the conference and, and doing that. And so some of you even helped with that. So thank you uh, for being a part of that because uh, yesterday was uh, it was meaningful for me. Uh, I had conversations. The, the first session, after the first session, I had I had men standing right here looking at me. We're just standing here. I thought they're going to be like, hey, what's up? How's it going? You know, whatever. And they're looking at me, and they're both going. Uh, we, we don't know what to do with that. Like, we got, we got to make some changes. Like, life's not okay the way it is right this second. Like, we, you know, and, and you know, it was just, it was awesome, you know. And, uh, and then even at that, like, you know, one of the things, one of the things that uh, the, the conference was done by Paul David Tripp, um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a second, but one of the things that he talks about <clears throat> is even disarming situations that we get into with our kids. And oftentimes those, those situations in which, um, you know, where, you know, <laughs> middle of uh, one of the examples he used, in the middle of the night, the kid's losing his mind, and, and you're, you know, you're walking down the hall, and you're like, you know, thinking about, I'm, you know, this kid's going to die, or, you know, whatever, because he woke me up, you know, and all this. And just this idea that, you know, how dare our children need us to parent them, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and, just, and just how to, and, and here's the truth of it, he's not some soothsayer, how basically the gospel if we apply the gospel to those situations, changes those situations for us, and how and how desperately those children need us in those moments, and don't need us to, you know, come at them like you know we're firing them from a job uh, and destroying, you know, who they are as a person with our words. But uh, how how do we how do we show God's grace and and all that and just I mean just. Good stuff. Good stuff. And so you may be sitting here saying, "Well, great, we missed it. You know, we didn't get to go. Whatever. That's okay. That's fine." Now, here's the thing: we can't uh, we can't show it to you uh, because we paid to stream it one time or whatever. It's not something that we can just. Um, it's not. We're. It's not our material, so we can't. You know, we can't put it online or whatever. Uh, but uh, the conference was based on his book, uh, and we have his book available, and it is called Parenting. Uh, it's out there. You can buy it. Uh, We've got extra copies just for people in our church that would want to read that, Uh, and basically the conference was based around four principles of ten principles that, what? Fourteen. Okay, I said it wrong first service. Uh, So four principles of fourteen principles that he has in the book. You can tell I read the book, right? Uh, And so, uh, uh, but yeah, and and our family's going to be looking at the book. Uh, I challenge you, you know, get a copy of the book and you and your family look at the book. You and and your spouse, if you've got a spouse, you know, look at the book or whatever. Uh, You know, just, just, you know, take some time. Think about what it means to intentionally raise children under the gospel. And, you know, it's so easy for us to just kind of haphazardly just go about how we raise children. And if we're not careful, we just recreate how we got raised or uh, something, other things that we've seen or just... You know things that we've kind of fallen into or whatever, and sometimes those aren't the most healthy things if we're just honest with ourselves. Uh, and so, you know, just just something to think about, just something to uh, to take note of. And so, uh, we just we want to help people. We want to help people be uh, godly parents. And so that's that's the point of that. So uh, check that out if you get a chance. And uh, thank you so much again for everybody that had anything to do with helping make yesterday happen. It was it was a great day. Um, all right, so uh, today. Uh, we're going back in the book of Mark. If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and get that out. We're going to Mark chapter 9, and if you don't have a Bible with you, our ushers have Bibles, uh, and they would be glad to bring you one. In fact, if you'll just throw your hand up, uh, they can bring you one. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. Uh, if you can't find yours, you can keep that one. Uh, either way, if you just need to borrow it, you can use that one. Uh, we'd love for you to be able to follow along with what we're doing today, but we're in Mark chapter 9, and we've been walking through the book of Mark uh, for a while. So one of the things that's happening in this passage of scripture, uh, is uh, something about uh, the greatest. You know, when we talk about the greatest things in our lives, you know, uh, we can we can compartmentalize that into all sorts of things, like, you know, you know, greatest memories of being a kid uh, in this way, shape, or form, or you know, that's the greatest thing, or you know, they're the greatest, or whatever. And there's all kinds of those things. You know, one of the things that that bring that comes to mind uh, really comes to mind because it kind of hit me this week is uh, that I have, uh, I have a memory of one of the greatest things uh, of me growing up. And I remember like, I remember when I had birthday parties, I would ask my mom to make sure that we had this there. Uh, I, I remember uh, as a youth pastor, uh, I spent many of years of my life enjoying uh, this particular item. Uh, and then, suddenly, in about 2000, 2001, they disappeared off the landscape. You could not find anywhere in the world anywhere where you could buy these. They were just gone. And it was a testament to things that we take for granted, you know, things that we take for granted, things that, you know, you're just, we're just used to, you know, like, you know, if Heinz ketchup shut down today, I would be hurting tomorrow, you know? I mean, there's just those things in life, you know, you're just used to it being there, and you just assume that there's never going to be a moment when you can't not get that particular thing. Well, this thing for me has been gloriously re-released in some kind of like, I don't know what kind of trickery is going on right now with this, but, but there's some kind of like a re-release in certain areas. You can get them off certain websites. But every time I go there, they're sold out. They say they're going to be in stores. Every time I've gone, they're sold out. Are you ready for it? You ready? Are you sure? I don't think you are. You see that? The Planters Cheese Balls. One of, one of the ladies that goes to one of our sister churches, she also has been in the hunt for these. I saw this on Facebook. She and I have been messaging back and forth. While I, while I was gone on our pastor's retreat, she apparently found some. I don't know if she's got a dealer. I don't know really what's going on here but she came up with cheese balls and not, not listen, listen, you may look at this, you may go, oh they sell those at the store and the big old thing. No, that's 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 not the real thing. Okay? And and and, and there there is no substitute for the real thing. And I'm just gonna tell you. But anyway, she found these and, and by the grace of the Lord she was willing to part with a canister of these for myself and brought them by in the little gift bag and everything. And so I'm just incredibly grateful to her. I'll have i just go ahead and show you. I have not opened them because I'm not sure if these are the last cheese balls I will ever eat in my life. And I'm not sure when that moment should be, if that's the case, when I should partake of them I I mean, this is like better than, you know, the best Cuban cigar to a cigar smoker, you know, that they could ever get. I mean, this is, this is an amazing thing. Like you don't understand, like I spent 10 years of youth ministry living on these in Mountain Dew. I mean, like we go to camp and I throw, I throw clothes in a bag and we go to a store and my wife can testify and I would have Mountain Dew and cheese balls in the bag. She'd be like, you need anything else? Like, no, I got Mountain Dew and cheese balls. And that's what we, that's what we did. So one of the greatest memories of my childhood right there. So we talk about great things, great people, we 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 have certain things that come to mind. I, I don't think you can talk about some of the greatest of people in time and not talk about Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. I don't think you cannot talk about him, because, I mean, the man just, he just tore, and I love, I love boxing, I love boxing history and all that kind of stuff, and so, you know, I, if you ever go, and, and, I've, and I've been down this rabbit hole actually this week watching some of these videos, if you ever got a chance, get a chance, you can go on YouTube and watch videos of Muhammad Ali being interviewed, and he is constantly, there's one thing that is constantly being communicated out of his mouth, and that is that he is the greatest of all time. He says things like, I am greater than the ones before me, and I'll be greater than the ones to follow me. You know what I mean? I mean, he just, you know, in fact, I, go, I went back and watched one of the videos where he's being interviewed when he was not quite the Muhammad Ali that we know now. He was still Cassius Clay at that point in time. And he was up for the title fight, and everybody in the world had the other guy picked because they didn't know him. They're like, who's this guy? And he is shooting off at the mouth about how he's going to take this guy down, and I mean, in such a way like that, people haven't seen anybody do that before. He goes on Jerry Lewis's show and is interviewed. This is obviously dating; it's a long time ago, and he's and he's being interviewed. And Jerry Lewis asks him about you know how the fight's going to go, and he says. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decimate this guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove everybody wrong. I'm going to ruin everybody's day. Everybody's going to bet on the other guy, and I'm going to be the winner. You can watch it. And Jerry Lewis looks at him on, on TV, on live TV, and says to him, you know what? I think you are full of hot air. I think you're just blowing smoke. I think you're all talk. And I, and I just thought, man, like, if he even knew like what he was saying to a guy, there was one punch. He could just like knock him back over behind the desk and he'd probably never get up. I mean, you know, he like never would have said that. Greatest of all time. Maybe, maybe boxing. I don't know. When you think about greatest of all time, you, you think about all kinds of people. When, 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 that, when, that, when that statement comes up, the goat comes up. I mean, there's one in particular you're thinking about. We're not we're going we're to go there yet. We're going to get there in just a second, though. Let me give you another one, okay? And this is very compartmentalized to a specific thing. We're just going to go down to a specific band. Greatest singer of all time for Van Halen, David Lee Roth, or Sammy Hagar. Let's just take a vote right now. Now, there's also Gary Sharon, let's throw that in there, who was the singer for Extreme, and he only did one album with him, and that was a really fly by night deal. But there are people out there that say that he's the best of all time, too. So we've really got three, but let's just keep it at David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar just for the sake of, like, yeah, let's just do that. All right, so if, you're Dave, if you say David Lee Roth, raise your hand. If you say Sammy Hagar, raise your hand. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be afraid. It's Hagar. I've seen them both live. Okay? All right? <laughs> you see how opinionated we get? Now, if you think we're opinionated about that one, just wait for the next one. You know what this one is. You know when you hear goat, you know, you know what you're thinking, right? You already know. Is it LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. Jordan. Now, now, see, I didn't, I, it, we didn't vote yet. And see, you're already so opinionated about it. Like, like, like you're ready. To, you're ready to die on the hill for it. Right. You know, like you, you want so desperately for the generation of now to understand what we know to be the truth. Like, right. Right. So just for the sake of, you know, posterity, let's take the vote. LeBron, who's the greatest of all time. LeBron, Anybody? We got one. We got right here. D- Charlie, don't feel bad. We had one other young man in the first service in the back, and he also singly believed that it was LeBron. Okay, now, uh, Jordan. If you believe Jordan's the greatest of all time. And see, that, that's across like all divides. You know, that's across like all kinds of people right there. <laughs> Charlie, we love you. We didn't mean to single you out today, Okay. That LeBron is the greatest this morning. Oh, that's so good. Oh. oh. <laughs> we, we're praying for you, Charlie. It's okay. It's all right. And, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. Just some know the truth. That's it. So so uh, you know, I called Dan Saylor out in the first service because he wasn't here and he loves to get in on this debate. And uh, and he texted me earlier. I think they're out of town at like a thing with the kids or whatever. And uh, he texted me earlier. He's like, I watched the stream, the stream. And he, I think he said, by the way, it's uh, it's Ali, Hagar, and Jordan. And uh, you know, and, and he's like, and nothing else matters or something like that. So, but uh, yeah, so pretty pretty awesome stuff. But yeah, you know, we get we get opinionated about that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, the truth is, the truth is, the disciples weren't any different. They got opinionated about things like this too. And, uh, and we're going to see them get opinionated about that this morning. And let's, let's just look at this. Mark chapter 9. And this is coming off of the passages where we have seen uh, this is all flowing together. Keep in mind with the, with the messages we've preached in the past uh, several weeks uh, out of also Mark 9, Mark 8, and all this, the transfiguration, the, the disciples starting to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, all these things. Uh, this all goes, you know, coming from that. And so this is a pretty integral you know, time in Jesus's ministry and life because the disciples have finally you know, bought into the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're really struggling, like, what's that really mean? And, and they're still struggling with that. We're going to see that struggle continue here because they're still struggling to believe that what, what is what's it, what's it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? They believe he's the Messiah, but they're still banking on Jesus being some political savior. It's going to make the Jewish people like the greatest people of all time, or whatever, and make them all rich, or whatever it is, and make their lives easy, uh, and probably have people waiting on them hands and foot, and you know all this kind of all this kind of stuff. So here's here's where we got Mark chapter nine verse thirty, and it says this: says they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. So he's he's like trying to sneak away from the situations that we've just left the healing of that last guy and all this kind of stuff, trying to like kind of, you know, get on out and says, for he was teaching his disciples. So he's trying to get away with the disciples to have some time with them, to teach them about some things. And on the way saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise he will rise. Verse 32, the struggle continues right here. Disciples on the struggle bus, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask him. They did not understand, and they were afraid to ask him. So we've got Jesus and the disciples. They're trying to get to Capernaum. We see that in just a minute. It's why we know that. Uh, and uh, they're, they're, you know, obviously they've slipped away from the crowds. They're trying to have some time. Jesus is trying to teach them some things, and he's telling them, "Hey guys, guess what? I'm going to die. I'm going to be delivered to a bunch of men who are going to kill me, and then three days later, I'm going to come back to life." But the truth is, is they're trying to comprehend this, and they are struggling to comprehend this. Here's why. I want you to think about this, in a way they're imagining Jesus being their superhero. What superhero movie have you seen where the superhero comes on the scene and he's like, I'm here to save the world. And in a couple of days, I'm going to die. Doesn't happen. That's not the case. You know, we don't see that because superheroes come to be invincible and beat everybody, and stay forever, and always be there. I mean, you know, how old is Batman at this point, right? You know? You know so, so we got this understanding of, of Jesus coming as the Messiah. And, and you see, the disciples had heard. They had been taught from, from the beginning of their lives that the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to set everything right. But they had been taught that in such a way to believe that he had come to save just God's people, just the Jewish people, just the chosen race of people, not all the world. God had something much bigger in mind. Something much bigger in mind. Jesus had something much bigger in mind. There was a plan at hand, and he says to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they Will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Now, let me just kind of tell you another piece of this that probably is very confusing for the disciples. Is that one of the things that they understood and knew in scripture was that at one at some point in time when God comes to, you know, do his do his thing in create, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, just the end of times kind of stuff that That at some point in time, that the dead would rise again. That all those who had followed the Lord, that believed in the Lord, would rise again and would be saved. And so, you know, they had this understanding of that. So when they're hearing Jesus talking about this whole rising again in three days thing... A couple things they're thinking. They're they're probably thinking. We're pretty sure they're probably wondering. Gosh, is Jesus talking about like when God's gonna you know make the dead rise again who believed in Him and all this kind of stuff, Uh, or is He talking about the rebuilding of the temple? And yes, He is talking about the rebuilding of the temple, but He's not talking about the temple that they think He's talking about. Jesus is talking about His temple, His body that He Himself will rise again from the dead. Folks, this is a huge part of our faith. I mean, like cornerstone, like amazing, like, you know, without Jesus rising from the dead, we might as well close up shop and go home. We might as well find something else to do with our Sunday mornings. We might as well find something else to believe in. We might as well put our money into something else. We might as well put our time into something else. Like, this is hugely important, as important as the cross itself. They go together, The whole thing is God's plan that he meant from the beginning. And in verse 32, it says, But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Afraid to ask him about him dying. Imagine that. Well, imagine that kind of happened to me this week. I had a guy come to my house this week, and he uh, was coming to buy... Uh, a machine that we had put together. And um, we we're, were sitting there talking. He loved the machine. He, you know, going on and on about how excited he is to get it. One of the happiest guys that I have met in a long time. I mean, just super, super happy. And, you know, I said, uh, he was getting ready to leave. And I said, uh, I said, well, hey, look, you know, he said, I'll be back Friday to pick it up. And I said, hey, that's fine. I said, tell you what, something comes up, just give me a call, we'll work it out. You know, if I need to hold it or whatever I need to do, it'll be here waiting for you when you, when you can come get it because weather and different things he's wondering about. And so um, he says to me, he says, he says, yeah, if something comes up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I guess, you know, if I were to die or something, you know, and he kind of giggles and I kind of giggle and it's kind of like, <laughs> huh, okay, That's, that was random right there, you know. And uh, the conversation took a turn. And I said, yeah. I said, is, uh, is that supposed to happen soon or something? Is there something I don't know? And he, he, said, uh, he said, yeah. He said, uh, something's going on with my heart. And he said, the doctors tell me I'm going to die. Happiest guy I met all week, hands down, standing in my basement telling me that he's about to die And he says to me, he said, you know, and I'm good with it. He said, I'm good with it. He said, you know, the Lord's got a plan. And he said, you know, he said, uh, he said, if anything, it's made me realize that I need to make my moments count. He said, so even, even buying this machine, I wouldn't have done this a few years ago. This would have seemed silly to me. He said, but then a while back, we went somewhere and we got to play some games. And he said, you know what, after that, I decided I need, we should we should get that. He said, I got a little lake house that we bought. We're going to put this machine in there. We're going to go down there and have fun with it. I said, man, that's fantastic. That's great. I thought to myself, you know, what, what an amazing, amazing testimony of just how oblivious we are to life most days. To like be able to look at life through that lens, like to know, something that is true, which is that we're going to die. But to know it in such a way in his shoes, like he knows it's going to happen soon, and to be able to say, I'm going to make my moments count. He hasn't stopped working. He's still working, you know. Um, and, but it, it sounds like to me he's having a blast. He was laughing. He was, he, he, when he came Friday to get that thing, he was so excited, laughing, just we're loading that thing up, and he's just talking about, you know, hanging out with his friends and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, man, this is, this is a great, great testimony. The truth is, is that we will all die, but because of the death that Christ has suffered on our behalf, the death that we deserve on the cross, that, that's what we deserve for sin, right? We deserve death. We know that from Scripture. Jesus took our place to take the punishment that we deserve, that if we believe in him, we shall be saved. And in our death because of his death and because of his resurrection and him defeating death, we won't know death in our death. We will only know life. That's amazing. That's that's incredible to me. We can say that and we still don't really even know what that's going to be like, right? It goes on, verse 33. It says this, it says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Anytime Jesus asks a question to the disciples, <clears throat> it's almost like, here's a setup. <laughs> because it's Jesus, okay? He knows the answers, right? <clears throat> you don't want to go on Jeopardy with Jesus, okay? <laughs> like, if, if, if Jesus is playing Jeopardy, it's, it's going to be bad, all right? And and so Jesus says "Then what were you discussing on the way? They've now gotten to Capernaum. They've gotten to the house. By the way, the house might be Peter's house. There's people that speculate. It could have been Peter's house. That's where he's from. Uh, and, and there's a child involved here in a minute. That Even the child might have been Peter's. That's all speculation. Just cool things to think about or whatever. But it says, but uh, what were you discussing on the way? And verse 34, it says, but they kept silent. They kept silent. And here's why. For on the way... They had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? Now, here's the deal. The disciples aren't talking about who's the greatest basketball player or the greatest singer for Van Halen. (laughs) The disciples are talking about who's the greatest among them. Why? Here's why. Because Jesus just told them again that he's going to die. And so they're already beginning to think about Numero uno, they're thinking about themselves, and they're thinking about themselves in such a way that all they can think about is who's going to be left in charge. Or maybe in heaven one day, who's going to get to sit on the right hand of Jesus and some of that kind of stuff. That's, that's where their heads are going. And so they're arguing about this. And you can imagine like an argument between the disciples about this, like, well, who's the greatest among us? Well, you know, imagine Peter, James, and John if they're in the argument, and I'm assuming that they probably were, because it doesn't say that anybody stayed out of it. (coughs) But I imagine that Peter, James, and John are probably like, well, um, you know, we're we're all, you know, like part of Jesus' inner circle. We saw the transfiguration. We saw Jesus glow like crazy. We saw the ghosts of Moses and Elijah. We saw and heard God speak out of a cloud of pillar. And you guys didn't get any of that, and Jesus chose for us to be there. And then the other guys are probably like, well, you know, while you guys were all vacationing and camping with Jesus, you know, we were, you know, still doing God's work and doing things in Jesus's name. And we were still doing ministry. So, you know, we've probably actually got more experience than you guys, uh, because you guys really haven't been doing that much stuff lately. So he's probably going to choose one of us. I mean, you can imagine how this conversation is going, and how ludicrous at the same time, the fact is that they're having this conversation when Jesus just told them that man is going to be delivered into, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. (laughs) Because they're having this conversation based upon Jesus just telling them that. That the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they are going to kill him. And you would think, you would think that, that these guys would be like, oh man, you know, there's gonna, apparently going to be some guys that are going to kill Jesus. I wonder what that's going to be like. Like, are we going to be there for that? Because that sounds crazy. Like, I don't know if I want to be around for that. But I mean, Jesus says it. Usually, what Jesus says, it comes to truth, you know, it comes to fruition or whatever, you know. I don't know. And instead, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest and who is the greatest. Hmm. So Jesus, in verse 35, sets down. See that? It says, and he sat down, and he called the twelve. Now, let me help you understand something like in the phrasing, and we understand this from the language of the Greek and how this is written. Like Jesus is sitting down to sit down and teach. This is something that rabbis would have done. Uh, You know, this was like a formal, I'm about to teach you moment. And the the disciples are wise to this. They know this. They've been around rabbis. They've seen this, you know, a hundred times or whatever. And so when Jesus does this and he sits down and he calls them to him, you know, there's there's purpose with this and they know, uh uh-oh, Jesus is about to teach us something. You see, we don't ever see the disciples fess up to what they were talking about, do we? We don't see that. It says, but they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. But Jesus knows, because he's Jesus. And the truth is, is that he probably had superhuman hearing, and he probably heard them anyway. Verse 35, and he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, check this out. This is a gut punch. If anyone would be first He must be last of all and servant of all. Last of all and servant of all. Last of all and servant of all. Jesus gives to them in this moment probably one of the most important things that he is going to teach them throughout his ministry. Truth is he's been been prepping them for these words and he will say these words again but the truth is, is like for them to like completely like understand it, take this in again, you're still talking about a group of guys that can't figure out why the Messiah has to die. They're like, wait a minute, are superheroes going to die? Like what's up with this? And so they're struggling to try to understand, and we're going with that, and we understand that, and understand why they would be struggling. And he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And that's a picture for us today. That's a picture for us today of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, this is the starting point, to be last of all and servant of all. You see, this that's part of what so interrupted their understanding of what the Messiah was because they had not yet to understand and, and figure out how Jesus could be the Messiah, the King of the Jews, because kings get served. And Jesus didn't come... To get served, he came to serve everyone else. He was a humble king. And them trying to put that together and figure that out, that was hard for them. They were were having a hard time with it. And so then he says something that he's already been showing them. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Putting others before themselves giving and doing for others before themselves. I think that it's important to see the wording that Jesus used. He says all and all. He doesn't say the easy people and the people you like. He says all and all. Then in verse 36, Jesus turns this whole thing really on its head, and it said, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. think about being the disciples. They're still rolling around in their head, who's the greatest? They're still wondering, they're still sitting there wondering, would Jesus leave me in charge? It, 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 well, yeah, I, I know what Jesus is saying, but I mean, really, like, does Jesus think that I'm like his number one guy, like, or am I like a number two at least? You know, I, I wonder how this works out. I wonder. I wonder how much that matters to Jesus. Like, it's hard to tell because he talks with all this language about all and everybody else and doing things for others and everything. And then he gets this child, and he takes this child and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He's saying, whoever will receive this child receives the Father. Whoever receives this child receives The Lord of all. Strong words. And I'll tell you part of why it's strong, especially for the disciples in this moment, is I really believe that Jesus is taking this child and he's putting this child before them and he's saying, You want to know who's important to me? You want to know who's number one to me? This little child is. He just bumped the entire crew from coming up to be number one, number two, number three guys and just said, it's not about you. It's about this little child and all the others like him. Jesus is making a statement here. He wants us to understand something that is very important for our faith. He wants us to understand that it is important that we remember those who do not know him. In fact, the Greek word here for child, of course, he's holding a child, but it also is interchangeable with uh, servant and other people. And, and for us to understand that Jesus is saying to us that this is about us loving others before ourselves, this is about us. Reaching out to lost people. I spent Monday night at uh, this uh, forum about uh, the opioid epidemic in our county and uh, with the sheriff and a whole bunch of other people that are really smart and know a whole lot about all that stuff. And uh, very grateful for the time I got to spend there. And I was just a bystander, just hanging out in the crowd, just listening, you know, but uh, I got to talk with some people while I was there. And uh, if you're new to 24, then maybe you don't know all that is at hand here, but uh, we feel very strongly that God is leading us as a church to minister and reach out to people uh, in in those types of situations, because this epidemic is literally killing people in our community on a regular basis. Now, there's always been a drug problem of some kind, shape, form that is hurting people and doing terrible things and all that, but uh, it's it's gone a little next level with taking people's lives and some of that kind of stuff. And so, um, and and I mean, you just talk talk to anybody. You can talk to the sheriff. You can talk to anybody on the fire department. They'll tell you like the numbers of calls that they tend to now versus uh, before the numbers of overdoses that we're seeing in our county is at an all time high. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy, and um, and we've talked about a bunch of this before. But basically, one of the things that we have we have said as a church is is that. That can't go on in our community and us call this our mission field and us turn our backs and pretend like it's not happening. So we've been in conversations with the sheriff and other people about what can we do and some of that. And so we've identified, you know, some some areas and just some places and and we've just said, you know what, Uh, and God has led us to this and you go see another message about this, you can ask me about later if you haven't seen it that you can go watch to get more detail Uh, about how we got to here, which is a pretty crazy uh, uh, little ride there, Uh, but that God is leading us to begin ministering to the children in these communities, and literally we plan to begin bringing those children here to be a part of ministry here at 24 and for us to love on them and to teach them about Jesus and to begin there and to begin life change there uh, because we believe that Jesus has exactly what everybody needs to help overcome these things. And so it's just a start, it's a place, but it's better than doing nothing. And we believe in the gospel enough and we believe in what Christ has done enough to know that he provides the life change and not us. So why not just start there? And so that's that's on the forefront of our minds. And along with that is us uh, expanding the end of our building so that we will have more kids space to be able to do some of that. But I'm just gonna be honest with you, as of right now, to be able to see some of those things happen, I really believe that... Uh, we are going to need to see more people as a part of this body be faithful in stepping up to minister to the children that God is giving us now. And so I bring that up because of this passage. Because Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And I really believe that God is calling us to be last of all and servant of all that we might minister to many of these families and their children uh, as, as time comes, and, and it's gonna be dirty and it's gonna be messy and it's gonna be crazy. But I, I believe that God is not going to allow us to take the next step until we are faithful with the ministry that we have with our children now, here at 24 now. And so I say all that to say this um, You know, we got, we've got crazy numbers of kids now. Uh, you go into first service, first service is packed, by the way. Um, and I don't know what's going on with them and you guys, but, you know, they, y'all need to make up or something. So, uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, like today, first service was packed, and I can just guarantee you every kid's room was packed. Some of you were probably back there in our kid's rooms today. You could probably testify to all the kid's rooms were packed today, and I'm just taking that guess, and I'm sure that it's right. Um, so with that, I, I, just, I just say this. If God is leading you to be a part of that type of ministry, if God is leading you, to love on those kids, please step up. Please follow him. I'm not, I'm not. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't like, oh, Chris is saying, you know, I need to do this or whatever, and he's trying to make me feel guilty. I, that, that's, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, in being a part of a church where people just follow the Lord and they follow what Jesus has called us to do, which is to be last of all and servant of all, and that means changing our schedules. And that may mean that you work in kids one hour and then you come to service or whatever it is. I, I don't know. But I'm just asking that we as a people that we would pray in that direction of what it's going to look like for God to use us in the lives of the people that he's called us to minister to because these are all key pieces of the puzzle, okay? To kind of go along with that and with the scheduling thing, I don't know what it is, but like we're living in this day and age of a generation. This isn't just our church. It's like every every church I talk to, every pastor, uh, they all say the same thing of like we have this like generational thing of like there are so many families that like if you ask them if they go to a church, if they're a part of a church, if they're sold out to a church, they would say, oh, yeah, no, we're sold out to our church. We love our church, and it is such and such church or whatever. Uh, and, And then that they really, if you looked at when they're there, talking about like Sunday mornings being a part and engaging on Sunday mornings, they're there like once a month or every other week or something like that. And, and I'm just gonna tell you, we, we can't, we won't, we won't be able to do what God is leading us to do as long as if, if we continue to adopt that model. And so I, I just I just say seek the Lord in that. Again, it's not a guilt trip, just seek the Lord in that. If that's where you are, if God's placing this stuff on your heart, if you love your neighbors, if you love this county, think about what God is calling us to do because I'm gonna tell you. What's bigger to me than the opioid epidemic and the drug problems that are going on and the other issues that we have in our county is the fact that we've got a lost people problem in our county. We have a lost people problem in our county and God has placed us in the lives and is going to continue to place us in the lives of people that need Jesus and need him desperately that they will know that when they die, they too will have life. God has called us to be a people that when other people know us, they know him. And we believe that with all of our hearts. Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I want to go to verse 38. This is another little section, just a few verses. I want to go to verse 38 because I think it ties in together, and, and, and I wanted to share this with you. It kind of, it kind of feels like it makes a turn, and it does a little bit. But it comes back around. It says, verse 38, it says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw something casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So the quick of this little passage is, you know, the disciples see this other guy. This field's kind of out of left field, I know. But the disciples see this other guy, and he's healing people and teaching about Jesus, and he's doing all this in Jesus' name. But the disciples don't know this guy. And so when they see him, they're like, oh, you you can't be doing this. And he's like, well, I'm teaching in Jesus' name. They're like, no, 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 you can't do this. You're not a part of the crew. That's basically what's going on. They tell Jesus about this. I think that they're proud that they're, that they've done this and they're telling Jesus about this. I don't think they meant to do wrong, but the truth is is that they have, because Jesus is like, Wait, wait, what? you told you told this guy to stop telling people about me. like th- this guy's out here doing stuff in my name. you know he's, he's with us. He's with us. Jesus brings this back around to that very last verse in verse 41. It says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What's he doing? He brings it right back around to serving again. Serving again. He's like, guys, this guy's out here serving. You guys are in here talking about who's going to be the greatest. And the truth is, is you're missing it because really what we're after is who will be last of all and who will be servant of all who will be last of all and who will be servant of all James 4:10 says this says humble yourselves before the lords and he, before the lord and he will exalt you he will lift you up humble yourselves before the lord and he will lift you up humble yourself before the lord and he will exalt you humble yourself before the lord and he will lift you up And sometimes we just get in moments of life where God just humbles us, doesn't he? And We don't don't usually see that coming. I mean, let's just face it. When that happens, we don't usually see that coming. It just kind of like hits us like a ton of bricks. We're like, whoa, where did that come from? And that's okay. And the truth is, is that we have the ability to humble ourselves and come before God. And our ability to do that, our ability to say to God, God, I, f- I feel you leading me in my heart and I feel that what you're leading me to do is different with all the things in my life, how I raise my kids, what I do with my money, how I'm involved uh, in my community, how I'm involved as a part of my church and ministry, <coughs> that God would show us and lead us and that we would humble ourselves willingly to say, God, whatever you want, I'll go with you. We'll go there. Let's do it. That's hard for us. (coughs) It's really hard for us to humble ourselves at times. Because why? Because we got a schedule. Because we got a schedule and we got things that are important to us. And the idea of letting go of some of those things is hard for us to fathom. Let me ask you a question today. Who's in charge of your schedule? Who's in charge of your schedule? Don't blame it on your boss. Because at the end of the day, we have choices. We have some choices. Now I know we got to work and all that. I'm not saying you don't need a job, I'm not saying you should be whatever. But let's face it. We have choices. And God is asking us to be a people That would make ourselves servants, humbling ourselves, that we must be last of all and servants of all. And that's a big deal today. Jesus also had to talk with the guys about this again. In fact, I want to read this passage with you. In John chapter 12, verse 14, we see Jesus again talking about some of this. I'll give a little backstory here. This is the time of the Lord's Supper. This is the time of Jesus is about to die and he's meeting with the disciples. And because of us having the different gospels, we have a picture that's more complete of different things that were happening at that moment in time. First of all, In Luke 22, we're not going to go there because of time, but in Luke 22, we actually see the disciples at the time when they're about to take the Lord's Supper, arguing again about who's going to be the greatest. (coughs) Jesus is telling them, they know he's about to die. And Jesus is telling them, look guys, you're you're doing this again, we're being crazy. So then in, in John chapter 12, we have this account of something else that happened just after Jesus is trying to help them overcome the fact that they've been talking about who's going to be the greatest again. And it says this in John 12, verse 14. It says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus begins to wash their feet before the Lord's Supper right after they have been talking about who's going to be the greatest because they know he's about to die. They still haven't gotten it. Verse 15, For I have given you an example that you should also do <coughs> just as I have done for you. <coughs> Sorry. My voice is not doing so great. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about Judas. I'm telling you this now because before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will believe that I am he. Truly, truly, here you go. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. Whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. An exact quote of what he's already taught them about loving others, ministering to others, being last of all and servant of all. Wanna throw this at you. A couple of statistics. A couple of different places that I got these statistics from because I wanted to see a couple that I kind of, you know, trust somewhat or whatever. And you know, statistics are what they are. Depends on who you're asking as to what you get. I'm sure in Ohio they think LeBron's the greatest. The statistics are for the percentages of people at what ages they come to know Jesus as their Savior. So it's for people that are saved. The first statistic is from SNU, and it shows that from the ages 4 to 14, (coughs) 85% of people come to know Jesus between 4 and 14. They show that between the ages of 15 and 30, 10%, come to know Jesus, and at 30 plus is the rest, which is only 5%. So after 30 years old, go to Barna, which is also another place that does a lot of research and that kind of thing. And it says that 43% of people come to know Jesus before they are 13. Different different way about how they got their information, like different ages and stuff. 43% before 13 64% before 18. So that includes the number from before. And then the numbers of people that come to know the Lord, like from 18 to 21, which I'm assuming is like when people go to college, they might first be a part of a campus ministry or first go to a church for the first time. Either way, they've probably first heard about Jesus. Somewhere in there, God's done something in their life. And just within those three years, is 13% just by itself. So you can add that. 13% to the 64%, which gives numbers, right? 67, 77, yeah, 77. I had that earlier, but I never did write it down. And and then they have that after their 21st birthday, 23% come to know Jesus. Why is all that important? I think all that is important because, and and not to say that God doesn't work and do great things in the lives of adults. Many people in this church, in fact, I think our our church alone would skew these numbers greatly because we've seen lots of adults come to know Jesus within 24, and and, and that's awesome. It's an amazing testimony. If God does whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, we trust in that. <clears throat> but to also see these statistics and understand That God works in the lives of children, and children are much more apt to believe and have, guess what, childlike faith. Something that Jesus calls us to, but we struggle with it as adults a lot of times because we think we know it all. And faith is tough in of itself. But children are more apt to believe. So, I think about Jesus taking that little boy and putting him in front of the disciples after a little argument of who's the greatest. And Jesus saying, How about this guy? How about whoever receives him or anyone like him receives me? And whoever receives me doesn't really receive me, but they receive the one who sent me, which is the Father. See, the greatest of all time isn't Muhammad Ali. The greatest of all time isn't Sammy Hagar or Michael Jordan or LeBron. The greatest of all time is Jesus because he came to redeem us. He came to give his life and he came to give all. And it's because that he gave all that he could ask of us to also be last of all and servant of all. He gave that example to us. And as much as we really want Jesus to just come out and go, I'm the greatest of all time, that's not his style because he came as a humble king. And servants don't do that. And people that are last of all don't do that. They love, they care. And I know that God is calling us to be a church that loves and cares. I believe with all my heart that God has some amazing things in front of us as a church. Like what God is doing right now in this body of believers is absolutely amazing. And I mean, everything from, I've talked with architects this week, the wheels on the bus are going round and round right now. Although we hadn't fired up and gone to the neighborhoods yet. And the truth is, if we did, it would kill our kids workers because we're just not there. I ask us collectively to be a church of people who would seek the Lord and allow him to lead us and that we would be faithful in whatever it is that he leads us to do, to be a part of reaching those people, to be a part of seeing people that don't know him come to know the Lord. Yeah, I think in the midst of that, He's going to I think he's going to heal some homes of drug addictions and things like that. I totally believe that. really totally believe that. You may say, Chris, you're crazy. You know anything about drug addictions? Yes, I do. I've been around a whole lot of them. We got people in our church who can testify that God has saved them. Talk to a man first service, he's been 39 years clean. 39 years. Spent the first 30 years of his life an addict. God will do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. And the question is, will you let him use you to be a part of it? I hope so. I'm praying that you will. Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, I pray that you would be known as the greatest in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to follow you, to trust you through the hard stuff, God, to be the people that you've called us to be. God, I pray for anyone, Lord, that is listening to this right now. God, I pray that if they haven't trusted you to be their Savior, God, I pray that they would do that today. God, I pray that you would save them. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you, to be saved by you, to have life in our death because you defeated death on our behalf. God, thank you for taking on the cross. Thank you for not staying dead. Thank you for saving us. Lord, we love you. Be glorified in us. We ask this in your name. Amen.